Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is the first episode of season two of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And what better way to kick things off than to welcome Amit Govrin to the show. Amit is the co-founder and CEO of Kubaya, the world's first DevOps virtual assistant that is powered by AI. He is fresh off the back of multiple events, multiple interviews. They launched back in May 2022 and since then have experienced rapid growth And in his own admission, a huge amount of interest from the world of cloud and DevOps. It's really good to have you on today. I appreciate, obviously, uh, tomorrow's Thanksgiving. So thanks for taking uh, time out to speak. It was, uh, as I kind of alluded to there, you've launched only about a year ago, a year and a half ago now. We'd be really interested to understand the kind of backstory because I know you spent some time at Amazon. You launched Kabaya as I say, May last year. So would you mind kind of bringing everyone up to speed on who you are and kind of ultimately led you to launch Kibaya? Sure, sure. Uh, pleasure to to be on, Alex. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, my, my story as, as a founder is, is actually uh, not that much different than a lot of other founders. Uh, I found myself after a stint in a previous uh, a couple startups uh, taking, uh, if you may, a couple of years off in the corporate world in uh, AWS, where I was essentially leading the DevOps and DevSecOps partnerships for AWS, for the tier one partners. Uh, you can think about all the who's who of the industry, the Datadogs, HashiCorps, uh, GitHubs, GitLabs, uh, uh, Sneaks of the world. I was, I was there um, really providing that connective tissue between the partners, the go-to market, uh, the product teams, and of course, uh, the, their needs and, and where they need uh, the most amount of support within AWS, which is uh, really an organization of itself. It's, it's an enterprise that uh, you could have full-time work just trying to navigate internally. So I was there as a connective tissue to try to go and bring to market uh, these uh, these uh, industry leaders and, and help them on around. I was seeing a lot of, uh, I'd say, challenges uh, that were repeating themselves, and I won't name names. It's more about the, the concepts that were coming across. We need more uh, native integration into EKS, into ECS, into some of these um, native AWS services. Help us. Why can't our customers have an easier um, onboarding experience or an easier, uh, uh, say, um, uh, exchange between our, our respective services? And I was seeing this as being a common theme and a common thread between how are we getting to this point where the best of breed and, and uh, the industry-leading DevOps companies uh, who invent in the world of configuration management, automation, and so forth, they're still 
uh, challenged by the same issues everybody else is, yeah. which is the end user experience. So what, where everybody was looking to solve, if you may, one side of it, which is automation, and the end user experience was still pretty much lacking. That, that's a thesis we brought with us, where I started coming uh, carrying with me. On the other side, when I, uh, I was connected with my co-founder, Shaked, who's a CTO, he was actually solving much of the same issues on his own in his previous company at Bluevine, a fintech unicorn that was essentially uh, a very lean operation, 200 plus engineers for about four platform team, uh, four person platform team, which Shaked was, le- uh, was leading. And the issue he was experienced from his end five sites, four time zones. How can he go and, and provide all of these um, self-service requests that were coming in, give me access to this cluster, troubleshoot this for me, give me permission to this, uh, uh, to this um, application, um, help our production is down. Think about all these problems that repeat themselves, but only in a larger scale. And he was getting mm. very frustrated on his end, uh, needing to go and to provide um, service across the globe, essentially, follow the sun. Every day, his, his uh, job was stretched to 18, 20 plus hours. So on his own accord, uh, the best thing that happened to him at the time is he caught COVID, so he could work from home for a few weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> that, gave him some, <laughs> that gave him some time to effectively uh, think about the problem set and how does he scale himself uh, in a way that doesn't compromise his personal life. Uh, essentially copy himself as a form of a chatbot in Slack so he can mm. extend that to his team. So when uh, copied over, say, a thousand Jenkins shops uh, in terms of his internal automations into uh, an easy way to self-service in, in Slack, and then anytime it, uh, somebody in the organization came to him for any type of request, uh, similar to what we discussed, he would essentially go and throw the bot at them. And if it didn't exist, he'd go and create it. So that was essentially the initial concepts that that carried uh, him forward. And when we uh, came together, that thesis really married each other. Number one, this is right. more than just a one organization or one enterprise uh, uh, issue. Uh, and we know how to solve it. Now let's go and solve it for a much wider range of, of uh, companies and use cases. So that's where the initial thought came around back in 2022. We called ourselves a DevOps virtual assistant. But again, this was early on uh, prior to large language models actually becoming um, a commodity, if you may. It was mm-hmm. uh, still early experimentation. So we're still working with uh, GPT-2 and 3.5 in early preview mode and trying to see how we can go and make use of large language models. Our initial thesis all along was create a very easy um automation experience using large language models to essentially create, um, uh, convert your words into workflows. Essentially yeah. a next generation workflow automation uh, concept. Um, we came to the world uh, announcing ourselves uh, in KubeCon in Detroit of last year as Siri for DevOps. For no other reason, because nobody understood what conversation and I actually was. Yeah. So we said, thanks Siri, you could talk to it, but it's for DevOps functions. Um, and of course, 45 days later, OpenAI introduced ChatGPT to the world, and 
that was it, right? Uh, overnight, a million people understood exactly what conversational AI was, the easy yeah. experience of interacting with, with an intelligent uh, machine. And that's where we already had all the battle scars of how to go and rein in large language models, create rule base and, and scaffolding around this so you could actually have an expected outcome. Um, because I think one of the biggest issues that people haven't really figured out yet, especially um, uh, people who are relatively new into the world of large language models, is it's not enough just to go into uh, to summarize text or to get no. some form of image created. If you're a creator and I create our economy, that's great. <laughs> the more hallucinations, the better it is, I guess, for your artwork, but not for an yep. expected outcome of an enterprise. Enterprises, especially our audience, uh, platform engineers, DevOps, DevSecOps, they need an expected outcome. They need a consistent expected outcome on one hand, but still to benefit from all of the good that large language models can do for you. And that's where we married the bo both worlds. Platform engineering on one hand and uh, virtual assistants, essentially uh, powered by large language models. And we've created the world's first experience of a bi-directional ex exchange between the users and their engineering platforms in a way that it feels very much like interacting with the person on the other end. Well, I I really appreciate kind of the detail you've gone to. There. I've been fortunate enough to obviously see the product and what, what I will say is afterwards we will make sure we reference and tag some uh, demos and videos because we have a lot of kind of sure. uh, infrastructure cloud DevOps or curious minds would be interested to see that and I'm really interested to dig on that kind of journey as a founder because you're obviously coming from and I know you, you've, you've been involved in startups before and in different kind of reiterations but I'm going back to kind of when you conceive you know Kubia and you are looking at what this business could become. It's obviously Siri for DevOps and, you know, the timing with uh, Gen AI was kind of maybe more luck than judgment, but obviously it, it gathered a lot of momentum. But what were the kind of first steps you took when you were looking at Kubia as a potential business? Because obviously it's a great product, but then obviously trying to commercialize that is obviously a whole different challenge, I guess. I'm going to answer it differently than how you asked it. I'm going to start with yep. why create a startup. I think uh, maybe to my benefit, this isn't my first startup. So I have the benefit mm. of uh, all the battle scores from previous startups and, and <laughs> what went right and what didn't. And I think um, any founder looking to found any type of company, especially in a Gen AI space, I will say, it's not just enough to show a cool demo or to show uh, something that looks next generation or, or far-fetched. It's solving mm. the problem first. What problem are you looking to solve? And that's where you need to really dig deeper. You need to needle into it and see, is this problem imminent and big enough for an organization to drop everything they're doing? You know, are these one of the top three pains they're experiencing? and go from there. And if you're not hitting on that keynote of what are the top couple use cases they're looking to solve for, especially in an economy like today, it's going to be really mm. hard uh, to really create a business out of it, whether it's a down economy or an up economy, whether it's a bear or a bull market. Um, <clears throat> I guess if it's a bull market, it's easier uh, to get more tools in there that are ancillary to, to the 
peripheral mm-hmm. to the main problems. But at the end of the day, if you're not concentrating on solving a real problem, no amount of cool tech and cool demos will re- remedy what you're actually trying to do. And I think that's where um, the biggest issue that I was looking to solve is the issue of self-service for yeah. platform engineering and DevOps. All along, that was a thesis that hasn't changed, actually, just because uh, we're now using uh, agent framework as opposed to uh, the initial, the earlier versions of, of uh, GPT-2 and 3.5 doesn't change the thesis that we're looking to have a better end user experience that will essentially go and, and be the catalyst for adoption of these organizational tools because automation wasn't the answer. And that's kind of mm. where we're, we're looking solve for the hard problem if you make uh technology is just an enabler for that yeah interesting yeah it's, it's kind of a unique perspective but as, as you rightly said you you kind of have gained those kind of uh battle scars for, for through other ventures and I mean, you, you're right about the kind of sometimes the market will dictate the pace at which an organization grows you know and obviously we're in a yeah, slightly turbulent, well, uncertain time right now, but I think things are becoming a bit more certain. But when you were looking at scale, what did scale mean to you? Was it was that about personnel? Was it about getting the customers in first? Because you obviously got that kind of chicken and egg, haven't you? You kind of need the customers to then scale, but equally you you scale too quickly. You know, the customers you're gonna burn through a lot of cash. So kind of how did you how did you approach that? It's it's interesting you ask that question because when I got started, it was right at, I mean, it was really right when Putin came in to Ukraine and there was a lot of uncertainty yeah. created from the war in mm-hmm. Ukraine and the markets were going downwards very sharply and we just closed around um, also in a pretty trivialing and tough economy. And <clears throat> we still didn't know where the bottom is going to be. We still didn't know mm-hmm. what... Uh, future will hold in terms of the economy is is it gonna continue to spiral is it gonna stabilize is, it, is interest rate gonna be under control and i think that's where the world of uncertainty forced us to think in steps so the first step mm-hmm. was let's go ahead and create an mvp or at least uh, an initial thesis that we can go and share with our customers and let's go and validate the thesis and make sure that we're solving their problems. Number two, let's go ahead and educate the market. This is, mind you, is the pre-chat GPT, so conversational AI was not that trivial to anybody. When we're trying mm-hmm. to talk to people, you can just go in Slack and provision uh, an environment and uh, create permissioning and so forth. People are saying, why would I do that? I can go into my CLI, I can go into uh, AWS console, I can go and do this myself. Has uh, as, as essentially a practitioner, we said, well, that's creating context switching. That's uh, burning cycles. That's uh, still not solving for your end users needing to get answers to their common questions, uh, RTFM, if you may. So one of the biggest mm-hmm. challenges that we're uh, trying to solve in many respects was how do we go and, and get people's concepts around conversational AI language as a new user interface, go and leverage it over the chat platforms you're already using and minimize context switching and minimize the tools that you're interfacing with. Uh, and when we first came out, we actually started hiring 
marketing team and and uh, for and uh, optimizing for thought leadership because we didn't know how much we're going to have to leverage. We even invested in Governor early on for no other reason because yeah. we needed to get into the analyst's mindshare and trying to get uh, the concepts that we're bringing to the table out there. Everything changed the minute uh, OpenAI released ChatGPT. All of a sudden, market education wasn't needed anymore. <laughs> if anything, you need to rein in on the noise created uh, by 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 all of these, uh, I'd say, early or later entrants who are just creating unnecessary noise in the industry and confusing customers and confusing investors. So that was maybe the other side of that spectrum. Um, but now, how do you go, if, for lack of better terms, how do you go and rein in all that noise and quantify that into a solution somebody wants to consume. Um, and that's where we had to optimize for engineering, essentially run faster on the engineering side, because no longer do we need to go to educate the market uh, and, and do our marketing. Now we need to go into optimize for the user experience, because now we have to deliver our future vision from two years from today in six months. <laughs> and that's kind of where, yeah. where the race was. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how the the rate at which AI became so commonplace, obviously with it, <clears throat> with ChatGPT, how that kind of accelerated and also kind of pivoted what your original strategy was. I'm going back to the kind of your thoughts about marketing and your go-to-market strategy. And that's obviously for, for many companies, one of the first things they would look at. And, and many companies actually fail on that. And, you know, I noticed obviously you and how we're connected you're very active out there on, on on LinkedIn. You push a lot of content out. You're at events a lot. You know, how do you think your go-to-market and marketing strategy has changed over the kind of last twelve months from maybe the kind of pre-ChatGPT days? I think I touched on that a little bit in my previous answer, but I'll just reiterate. Initially, we had to uh, invest heavy into the market education. Mm -hmm to marketing, LinkedIn campaigns, uh, we can go down the list of, of the different mediums we're using. At the end of the day, when ChatGPT came and educated the market to what it is we're doing, and now we needed to go into push more thought leadership content, we actually changed our strategy and that actually created, a, we had to over leverage on the engineering in order to catch up on, on the promise that AI uh, helped. So it kind of forced us mm. in a way to reorganize our priorities and um, to actually cut down on uh, marketing, um, both headcount and expenses, and actually leverage our uh, product-led growth strategy, uh, which uh, was scheduled for a year out, and we had to do it in less than six months in order to go into essentially bridge expectation gap uh, with the product experience. Yeah, I, th I find that really interesting how quickly you pivoted. And I, I suppose the reason I asked was the organizations, they will gain some market share, uh, but actually they maybe not necessarily as, invest as much time and effort into those kind of 
continuing to push their message out. But obviously you've kind of counteracted that with obviously the product piece, but also yourself, you're more active than many people I know on the social channels, the events. How, how much importance do you, you, do you and your founder team place on these kind of in-person events? Because I noticed they've obviously come back with a vengeance post-COVID. Do you, do you get a lot of kind of positive feedback and kind of confirmation doing the right thing through these events face-to-face? I have the benefit of the tailwinds of being the first to market in, in the world of Dev- large language mm. models for DevOps or AI for DevOps. So uh, I'm owning, uh, at least to my benefit, a lot of that mindshare today. So yesterday, for example, we had um, a webinar, uh, a post-KubeCon uh, webinar, where we had close to 1,500 registrations and close to 500 attendees, as an example, wow. uh, with very minimal spend. So that's a testament, number one, to uh, my amazing uh, team and and uh, my CMO and what he was able to accomplish during this time. But that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is there's a lot of interest in what we're doing because it's very early. And so all mm-hmm. the, the early signs of, of, of a brand new market uh, emerging in front of us. So people are looking for education. They're looking to uh, to better understand a lot of uh, the new concepts, large language models, how how to use RAG techniques in, in building applications. And we can go down the list of uh, which language models, what is a state machine, how do you go and, 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 and create one, and how do you essentially go and weave that into your workflows. There's so much that goes into this. And what we had decided is to create almost like a university curriculum with different topics that we can start educating people on. And that's kind of our weekly goal is to push content that's educational in nature, but also uh, complex enough so people understand there's still a lot more for them to uncover. If they choose, they can go into a managed offering of our own, and then they could at least cut down on a lot of that learning curve um, and and be guided through it. And that's, that's kind of where we're marrying our topics uh, together with with our solution, I think it's really smart, and I think it's the creating that community feel as well. Because you know, you know yourself when you're first in somewhere, ultimately there's going to be other organisations, companies um, trying to do the same, um, and some of them will with far bigger budgets than probably what you were originally playing with. But it, it kind of probably reaffirms your decision to make that pivot pretty quickly to the product piece, uh, the fact that you've had 1,500 registrations, 500 people actively engaged with your product on a webinar. I think that's uh, should kind of testament to the fact you made that decision. And I'm really, I suppose, season two for us is a lot around kind of founder journeys. Uh, obviously, the AI space is, is hugely, you know, interesting at the moment. But you know, what advice do you think and, and tips would you offer those founders who are probably sat on a great idea and maybe working in a larger organization or any organization who may be coming up with it against a problem and they've got the solution for that? Or, you know, what advice would you offer them for the kind of how to get something out of their, their mind and into a, a fully fledged business? I'll give, I'll give a few friendly tips. Number one, <laughs> Don't fall in love with your idea. Don't drink your own Kool-Aid too much. Yes, you need to have confidence and con- strong conviction. So maybe I should start with that. Have a very strong conviction and have a confidence that you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs before you're going to find 
apprentice, right? Before you're going to get additional validation. And it's not always going to be straightforward, especially in today's economy where people can very easily give you positive reinforcement validation. But it's one thing to give you validation. Sounds like a great idea. It's a completely different level threshold, if you may, in order to get Mm -hmm. it to somebody production or to get it to, uh, for them to to consume it and pay for it. So don't confuse interest with business. <laughs> I think that's one thing yeah. that most founders, uh, get, I would say, fall in that trap. The second one is is more so in line with don't be afraid to, uh, to be very agile with their thought process. You can't be married to one idea. You're going to have all these many pivots and evolution of your product in a way that it could be even on a daily or hourly basis sometimes. And you're going to, new information is going to come and you're going to need to know how to navigate that. The way I I usually liken it to is a navigation system. You're in ways, right? You're driving on a road. Uh, all looks clear. You're driving from uh, the valley to San Francisco and you have uh, 55 minutes on your GPS. But all of a sudden there's a pileup in front of you. How do you navigate? Where do you turn off on the road? Where do you know how to navigate around those those roadblocks or the police on the side of the road, right? So how do you mm. go and adjust your mindset, still having your North Star in place, and yet at the same time, not being too hard set on your original path or your original goal? You always have to adjust, yeah. especially in a world with large language models. AI, uh, we have to adjust to our mindset really on a daily basis, depending on what's uh, just last week. I mean, I think we can all agree. Uh, we almost had uh, the most impressive company we've seen in decades almost completely implode. Uh, it seems like oh, they're yeah. back on track. A hundred billion dollars <laughs> in value. Hours, it? it's, so, you, so who am I to say that I can't make my adjustments accordingly? Yeah, I think that's really, really helpful, really interesting. And uh, yeah, I think you referenced something. The the world of AI um, is changing every minute, every you know second. And actually putting all your eggs in one basket is is a risky play. And I think what we saw is the nervousness that obviously the open AI implosion created in the market. And I think it's going to make people probably a bit more, uh, how can I say it? more measured in the risks that they take and the the the, the companies that they align with moving forward i uh, i'm really as, as i mentioned i'm going to um tag some demos in but what can people expect to see we have a lot of technical people listening and people within that kind of uh, operational roles within infrastructure that would be interested to check you guys out but what what can they expect to see over the next 12 18 months i know whatever you can obviously publicly say what, what kind of things can we expect to see I, I think I can share my vision pretty pretty accurately because it's it's been very consistent really from our foundation. We wanted to give our initial users an easy taste to the world of AI and, and operations. And, and the best way to do it is to give them, I don't know if the right word is a co-pilot experience, but kind of a human paired experience with uh, an assistant that can go on to help them with the operations. Unlike, uh, say, GitHub Copilot, that's a code completion tool, we're an operations completion tool. You can go and spin up mm. Kubernetes uh, deployment. You can go and check your logs. You can go and, and create resources, uh, manipulate resources, attach policies very easily without knowing anything as a user. 
as an end user, you just have to express yourself. You can go and query your JIRA. You can uh, query your, your documents and have a conversation, interaction with your tools, resources, mm. and data. So that's really for the end users. For the advanced users, we've given a custom profile that they can go and create, um, bring in all their own tools and scripts and, and solutions, and now have a full-on interaction. You can create a Terraform uh, module, uh, say an SQS uh, of uh, uh, SQSQ using Terraform, and it will know how to do a plan and execute and really do that on your behalf with your input and your own custom instructions. So that's for more advanced users to be able to use it. And then finally, we also have a SDK. You can connect your own tools and bring in your own tools to interact with the system. So in a, in a high level, what we've done is we've created an end-to-end solution that knows how to interact between the users and their tools in a way that you're really effectively replacing a lot of that human dependency in the loop augmenting the human dependency in the loop, not necessarily replacing the end user. But over time, you're going to see that your users, your, the professionals who are managing your platforms and infrastructure can concentrate on their highest and best use. And you may not have the same need for a robust headcount to support that same type of operation, meaning a leaner, more efficient operation on one hand, more job satisfaction for uh, effectively, the operators who, who get less of those repeat and toil type of uh, requests coming in. Exciting times, and I'm sure um, everyone who's listening to this and uh, you know referencing the uh, the case studies and the demos, which we'll tag, will be uh, excited to see that. So, no, thanks so, so much for your sure. uh, your time this morning. It's been uh, yeah, my pleasure to have you on, and really insightful. You offer some uh, great advice, but also a great account to kind of what it takes to get a business to this point. So, we're excited to uh, see how you guys get on. Thank you. Thank you. Alex. Thanks, Ahmed. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right. Mm, cheers. Thank you.